Mindfulness Mode 156. I started to challenge this belief that you have to hustle and work hard in order to be successful. Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness on Mindfulness Mode with me, your host and Mindfulness Life Coach, Bruce Lankford. On Mindfulness Mode, I talk with people from all walks of life to discover the many ways mindfulness has impacted their lives. Today, I talk with Amanda Goldman Petrie. She's incredibly energetic. She thinks outside the box and she's actually had a lot of trauma in her life. Various forms of mindfulness have helped her survive. She survived all right, but now she's thriving. Find out the many ways Amanda uses mindfulness in her life right here on Mindfulness Mode. So sit back, Mindful Tribe, and enjoy Amanda Goldman Petrie. Okay, Mindful Tribe, let's get started. I am really excited because I have Amanda Goldman Petrie on the line today. Hey, Amanda, are you in Mindfulness Mode? Yeah! (laughs) (laughs) Amanda Goldman Petrie is an online marketing coach and speaker. She teaches her clients to work smarter, not harder. She's a bit off the wall, a bit out of the box, and a whole lot nerdy. (laughs) At least that's what she calls her business, market like a nerd. Amanda is passionate about helping people, and she's sold on mindfulness. So, Amanda, let's start here. By the way, Amanda, it's great to have you on the show. How are you? (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, (laughs) everything's going great. I really appreciate you being being here, and thank you, everyone, for listening. (laughs) Oh, it's super to have you here. So, mindfulness. So what on earth does mindfulness mean to Amanda Goldman Petrie? Yeah, loaded question. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) um, for me, it means consciousness. Uh, You know, it means control by being very acutely aware of my intent in all things, my state, my emotions, my words, my actions, I can control the future that I create. And this is really important uh, or significant for me as someone who's gone through a lot of trauma and is kind of, I'm naturally an HSP, a highly sensitive person. And and going through a lot of trauma has really amplified my emotions. And uh, at one point in my life, it was very, very difficult for me to kind of rein them in and kind of control them. And, uh, uh, become uh, conscious of my state so that I could control the way that I was uh, looking at life, the way that I, the way that I was looking at my situations, and the way that I was acting in reaction to them. Uh, so I had to really practice. You say mindfulness, I say consciousness in in my words, in my actions, in my emotions to be able to kind of come out of the fire and create this this life that I have despite what I've been through. So you've been practicing this. And what's the thing that you have to practice the most every day to stay conscious? (laughs) Um, Well, um, you know, I I visualize sometimes, you know, where I'll I'll kind of write down affirmations that, uh, you know, that I want to shape the way that I create the day. And then I'll kind of visualize myself with those affirmations. But for the most part for me is conversations that I have with myself in my head. And I know that sounds crazy. I'm not a crazy person, I swear. Um, But (laughs) in order for me to be 
mindful and for me to be conscious, I have to have conversations with myself as emotions arise. I acknowledge them and I have a conversation with myself about them so that I can react to them in the most appropriate way. Well, I don't think it sounds strange at all because you know what I think, Amanda? I think all of us as human beings, we all have these conversations going on in our head. And why not do what you're describing? Make sure they're positive conversations. Make sure that other person that we're having a conversation with is not putting us down. So way to go for doing that that is really awesome so you you do this so that you can be in control and what's the number one thing you want to be uh, in control of in your life amanda <laughs> myself and my own emotions <laughs> <laughs> well that's important isn't it now i love your laugh by the way <laughs> oh, thanks. so you obviously want yourself and your own emotions to have a sense of humor am i right yeah, absolutely. I mean, I like I said, I've been through a lot of trauma in my life, I, not, and not just not just poverty, but child abuse, rape, teen pregnancy, bullying. I almost died in a car accident, and well, not even not even a car. That's like putting it lightly. I was hit by a van while I was walking across the street, and nearly died. And and after uh, all of that trauma, I went through about a year where I was really depressed, where I was really sad, where I was very negative, where I had this victim mentality about, you know, the universe kind of being out to get me. And, you know, and, and, and I think also going through this, this near death experience kind of changes the way that you look at life because you realize your mortality and you realize that, you know, at any moment it could be gone. And that's, that's a very difficult thing for you to grasp at, especially, you know, I was, I was 17 when it happened. Wow. And uh, that was very, very emotional for me and very, very difficult for me to wrap my head around. And so uh, those emotions have been, a, you know, have that the emotions that I was experiencing were things that, you know, I had to be able to get in control of in order to uh, finally create a life where Next time around, if I get hit by a car, if I, you know, get cancer, if I, you know, next time when I do actually die, I've lived a life that was filled with happiness, that was filled with positive emotions. Well, this is really fascinating. And, you know, I have a, I have one question. You've, mm-hmm. you've gone through this really tough time. You've been bullied. You've been in trauma of many different types. So you talked about victim, being a victim and so on. How do you talk or think about any of these past experiences in your life without feeling like a victim? <laughs> Practice. Um, no, I uh, I went through. Uh, I want to say about a year of f- maybe even longer, actually feeling that way, and it uh, took years of healing, talking about it, uh, kind of healing the emotion around that story and around that trauma. I actually went to therapy for post traumatic stress disorder for a lot of this, and one of the key ways that we healed in the, in our sessions was by, uh, simply reliving it, re talking about it. I, I remember writing poems actually, cause I, you know, I, I, I studied poetry in, in college and I would write poems about the car accident, about the abuse and being able to relive it kind of normalized the experiences for me. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's mm-hmm. essentially what it was. It normalized the experience. So I didn't react so strongly to it each time that I thought about it. 
Okay, so that explains that. So you don't dwell on these things. I mean, you're aware of them. You know that part of those experiences is what shaped your your being today. How do you now say to yourself, "Oh, I'm just going to do my thing. I'm going to move forward. I'm going to make, you know, make a living." So how do you kind of do that? Yeah, you know what? I think the way that you just described it was actually the perfect way to put it. I don't dwell on it. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is something that I've learned through those life experiences. Part of the reason why I did spend that year, maybe more, in, you know, deep depression was because I was dwelling on the emotions. I was dwelling on the experiences. And I had to learn that, you know, yes, when things when negative experiences happen, that's unfortunate, but I can't dwell on it because it's, it's, you know, it's what's going to happen is I'm just going to end up, um, creating a life that based on negative, negative, um, emotions. And if I, you know, whenever I die, I don't want that to be, I don't want that to be what I remember. I don't want to be those negative experiences to be what I remember. So now I've sort of trained myself and it's been through, you know, it's been through practice. I've trained myself where if something occurs, if something happens uh, and a negative emotion arises out of it, I have to acknowledge it. You know, I don't want to dwell on it, but I do want to acknowledge it. You know, I feel sad in this moment. I feel angry in this moment. I feel frustrated in this moment. Um, Acknowledge it and then say, okay, I feel it in this moment. I don't want to feel it in the next moment and let it go and make the choice, the conscious decision to change the way that I'm looking at it. Actually, someone, someone once described it to me in a, um, in like a perfect way where, you know, everyone could be looking at the same exact window, but we choose what we see outside of it. You know, we choose what we, what we focus on outside of that window. You know, there could be a storm outside and, you know, everyone else could be looking out and seeing the storm, but I could look out it, look, look out and see that one flower that's still there in the storm. Wow. You wrote the book on mindfulness, Amanda. <laughs> I mean, wow, this is really, really gold. You know, what you're describing that window. I love that analogy. So let, let's go back to that that day you've been depressed for a year and you've you've like somehow you've come to this point you know what this is what i felt i've acknowledged it now i'm moving forward what's the first thing you did to move forward and make some money so that you could start feeling like you had you had a business yeah well so uh well i mean the very first thing that i did was i uh i actually changed my and this wasn't necessarily to make money, but it was to set my mindset up so that I could welcome the money into my life. You know, when you're in sort of a negative, uh, mind space and you are, then you're essentially going to end up attracting negativity and it's going to affect the way that you grow your business. So I had to get myself into a positive mind space. And for me, that meant removing toxicity from my life and, and, removing the toxic environment that I was in. So, uh, bought the city of Baltimore. That's where I grew up. That held so many negative emotions for me. So many negative memories for me. We actually, when I decided to become an entrepreneur, I quit all my jobs. I quit grad school and I quit Baltimore Mm. (laughs) and we moved, uh, uh, halfway across the country to Texas, which, um, was, a, it, you know, it was a sunnier place so that I could create a sunnier disposition for myself, uh, as I was going off and, and, you know, um, to, to do this, to do this, this entrepreneurial thing that I didn't, you know, it was, it was brand new to me. I was 21 
And uh, so we, we removed that toxicity, moved to, moved to Texas, and um, I started my first business at the age of 21. Now, my first business was not super successful. It was trial and error. This is actually my fourth business. My very first business at the age of 21, I learned how to build buzz for myself. I learned how to do collaborations, how to do interviews, how to get the attention of influencers in the industry. And, you know, that was great. So I kind of got name recognition in that industry, but I didn't learn yet how to turn it into money until my second business. My second business was a virtual assistant business. I was 22, and within four months, I had hit my first $10,000 month because I learned how to translate that buzz into cash. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. So you say we. So who is that? Who did you go to Texas with? Oh, my husband. Yeah, we uh, we got married young. I was, I mean, I do I do everything young. I, I always say that like I'm a 30-something-year-old in a 20-something-year-old's body. Um <laughs> Yeah, so we we eloped in Vegas when I was 21. <laughs> uh, secretly, I actually have three uh, rings on my my left finger, um, but it only looks like two because one of them is a is a hidden wedding ring. It's like a secret wedding ring from Ooh. our se- from our secret Vegas wedding. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, he and I and our now seven year olds uh, uh, moved to Texas. That's that's the we. <laughs> That sounds like a like a fun little family you have. And, <laughs> and then, you know, I, I was reading about you and I found out that you just believed you had to go, 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 go. You, you know, you learned you got to leverage your time. You got to do all these things, <laughs> do all these things. And then what happened? Yeah, well, so I, you know, because of all of the trauma that I experienced when I was younger, you know, be, growing up in a, an abusive home, I kind of buried my head in books and I became this overachiever, hence market like a nerd. I became a huge nerd. Uh, And I thought that working hard, I thought that hustling, I thought that sacrificing, working myself to the bone to the point where I got sick and tired all of the time, I thought that that was what was necessary to be successful. I mean, we tell our children, you've got to do well in school, right? We tell our children um, that it's like, you know, it's a good thing to be valedictorian. It's a good thing to get into like Ivy League universities. And that's what we want for our children. And that's what I totally bought into. And so I killed myself in the process. Uh, Yes, I did get into a top 15 university in the entire world. Yes, I graduated in four years with honors and three different degrees. Um, But the truth is, I burnt myself out. I was really unhappy in the process. I was very unhealthy in the process. And so by business number three, I got really tired of it. I was like, this is not what I want for my life. I almost, I almost died. And next time around, I want to be happy with my life, not look back on it and say, oh, I hustled like everyone told me to. And so I kind of started to do things differently. I started to challenge this belief that you have to hustle and work hard in order to be successful. And I didn't really see anyone else there talking about this. So I just kind of went on faith that I would figure it out, and if I was really stubborn about being successful without having to sacrifice, I would make it work. And that's exactly what happened. I discovered that as long as I had leveraged offers, as long as I uh, implemented automa- uh, automation in my business, and as long as I was delegating, I was you know uh, leveraging other people's time, then I was able to actually triple my profit while cutting my, while working a third of the hours that I was working before. So that was kind of like my formula 
for creating a balanced business. So you did try to leverage your time. You just didn't do it by killing yourself <laughs> sort of thing. Is that right? You just like before you were just push, 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 push all the time. Yeah. And then you learned how to kind of allow back up, just kind of let it all happen. Like you say, put some of the things on automation and get mm-hmm. some, get some help. And you, did you create systems and processes to make all this happen? Oh, yeah. I'm a hashtag systems nerd for sure. Okay. (laughs) I have a system for pretty much everything. Actually, I have this really geeky spreadsheet uh, where I've listed out all the different categories of my business, like administration, customer service, uh, content, marketing, PR, uh, accounting. I've got all these different categories within the spreadsheet. And then underneath of those categories, I list out literally every task I can think of within that category, like within accounting, it would be uh, approving invoices, paying invoices, setting up an affiliate. uh, You know, I don't know, like, uh, oh, what happens if a credit card bounces, how to get a credit card authorization from a client, things like that. And I'll list every task I can think of underneath of those categories. And then I'll create a system for it, which basically for me looks like I write out, you know, I actually type out a step from start to finish, step one, step two, step three, step four, every single solitary step of the system, the way that it currently is. And then I'll look at it and I'll say, oh, you know, this is kind of inefficient. Let me shift this here. Oh, this could probably be automated. Let me automate that there. And then I kind of fine tune and make the system more efficient, automate where I can. Um, And then I'll, so I'll finalize the written version then I'll record a video version of it, and then I can hand it off to my team, and I never have to touch it again. <laughs> wow. Wow, that's great. And and I think the cool thing about you is you really do not look like a nerd, Amanda. <laughs> and I'm sure that's part of your branding. I mean, branding is really important, how we appear to other people, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I wear comic book clothes. Like right now, you can't see this because we're not on video, but the leggings I'm wearing are Rubik's Cube leggings. Cool. (laughs) (laughs) So you just have fun with your clothes. You have fun wherever you go. You just make the world a fun place. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like I said, you know, going through all of that that trauma and, and experiencing so much negativity in my life, that's not how I want the rest of my life to be. I've spent enough years being unhappy. I have spent enough years in negativity. I spent enough years dealing with toxicity. I'm over it. (laughs) It's time to have fun. (laughs) That is great. So do you meditate? I don't meditate. No. Um, I visualize, like I said. Right. uh, and, And I suppose that's kind of like a form of it. I used to do uh, what my therapist called mindful meditation, where it was, you know, uh, I would conscious, I would consciously recognize my breath and I would focus on my breath. And as thoughts came in, I would acknowledge them, let them go away and then go back to focusing on my breath. And I used to do that as I was going through those negative experiences so that I could stop thinking so much, get out of my own head and just focus on the moment. And also it, it helped me to go to sleep. I used to actually use that to go to sleep. Uh, now, you know, I don't, I, I think I've kind of trained myself to do that without, even without even acknowledging that that's what I'm doing. Like now when a thought comes into my head, I acknowledge it and I let it go away. And it's just, you know, it's like a two second thing that I do. And it's, it's something that I've done out of practice. I don't, I wouldn't really call that meditation, but I do consciously visualize, uh, every morning. 
right? And to different people, meditation is different things. So how much time do you spend on your business every day, Amanda? It varies. When I'm in launch mode, I am working 40 hours a week. When I'm not in launch mode, it's more like 20 because I like to take vacations, take time off and sleep a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you probably like having having fun with your family. Tell me how you apply mindfulness to your family and especially your seven-year-old son. Oh, yeah. Well, my son requires a lot of mindfulness because he is a difficult child. Um, <laughs> I say that with love. Uh, but he actually, you remember what I told you that I was very emotional going through all of that trauma? Yes. He is like me times freaking 10. And, you know, I was emotional, but not until I was like a teenager and I was, you know, and I was going through all of that trauma. He's seven and he has been so unbelievable, unbelievably emotional since he was like three. And he requires a lot of mindfulness. Like I have to be very conscious of the way that he's triggering me, the way that he makes me feel and how I then end up reacting to it so that I can uh, maintain a healthy relationship with him and, and support him in being able to be conscious about his emotions the way that I've been able to. Because I recognize, like I consciously recognize what he's going through is challenging. You know, for me, I was I was 17 when all of this started for me. And it took me years to get to the point to where I am now where I feel in control of my emotions and I feel conscious about my words and my actions. He's so young, you know, that's so challenging for him. So I have to be conscious about the way that I communicate with him the way that I react to him, the way that, you know, I experience the triggers that, um, uh, the, the, the things he trick, the, the triggers that he, um, I don't know, gives me and, and, and the way that I react to him so that he can learn that as well. Uh, so that's a big part of how I experience mindfulness at home. But I would also say that my husband and I have one of the healthiest relationships that I have seen out there. Um, you know, we have a very, very healthy marriage. And part of that is because of how conscious and mindful we are with uh, how we communicate with, uh, with each other and how we are in our relationship. You know, if he, uh, if I do something, for example, that, you know, is maybe not like the best thing to do as like a good wife <laughs> right. um, or a good partner. Um, you know, I, in the past, I was a very, very proud woman and I had an ego and, mm -hmm going through the process of learning mindfulness and consciousness has now impacted the way that I would react to a situation like that in my marriage, where if I do something wrong, I consciously have to say to myself, Amanda, what you're feeling right now is ego. What you're feeling right now is pride. And that's not okay. That's not healthy for a relationship. You love this man and he deserves your respect. He deserves your consciousness. And so I have to have that conversation with myself and put my pride aside and apologize. And he does the same for me. So we have a lot of very healthy consciousness in our marriage, which has, uh, I mean, honestly, like the amount of arguments I think we've had, I could count on like one hand. Wow. That does sound like a really healthy, mindful <laughs> relationship. That is, that is great. Yeah. That must feel so good. Love him. <laughs> yeah. Well, we talked about systems. You talked about some of the processes you put in place. We didn't really talk about habits. Do you deliberately mm. create some habits to make sure that things in your life flow smoothly? Ha, yes. 
Um, so I, and, and it's, it's not necessarily daily. Uh, you know, I actually like having flexibility from day to day. That's part of my dream lifestyle. My dream vision for myself is I don't want to be tied to my phone. I don't want to be tied to my email. I don't want to be tied to even a schedule on a day-to-day basis. I want to wake up and be able to say, okay, this is what I want to do with my life today. I want to be able to design it from day to day. So in terms of daily habits, uh, the, the only one I can think that I have is I, every single solitary day from 12 to two, I take off for lunch and I go out to lunch with my husband. And that's a way for me to maintain my sanity mid workday and really just like, you know, have like a happy, happy moment with my husband each and every day. Um, but other than that, no daily habits. I do, however, kind of break my habits down into quarterly ones where every quarter I'm creating a marketing plan. And I'll actually, I mean, I get like really OCD about it. I will break down like, this is what I want to launch this quarter. Here's, uh, or here's what, or what I want to accomplish this quarter. Here's how much I want to make. Here's what I'm going to sell to make that happen. Here's how many of them I have to sell. Here's how many prospects I have to get. And then I'll break it down by weekly action steps. And only one to like three, maybe five max action steps per week. That way it's very doable. Uh, you know, I don't overwhelm myself with the actions and if I get ahead, I can just kind of take off for the rest of the week or I can get ahead. So I do that every single solitary quarter. That way I can be very flexible from day to day. Well, that really is a great explanation of how you make all of this work without feeling overwhelmed, without feeling completely stressed out, which so many other people do. And, you know, I mean, I've certainly had my times of feeling stressed out and I've, I've also worked in bullying prevention a long time. And I I know you mentioned bullying, but I've worked in bullying prevention for over 10 years actually, and done thousands and thousands of presentations. So I always ask a question about this because to me, my, Mindfulness and bullying are very closely Mm. related. If we can understand some of the concepts you've been describing, do you have a story about bullying that you can share with us? It can be either adult, it can be business related, it can be when you were a kid, it could be your son, anything like that where mindfulness would have made a difference. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I have a lot of those stories, uh, partially, you know, ones that I have experienced in my own life, but then I've also become acutely aware of them in the world. And even in the entrepreneurial world, there is most certainly bullying that happens. You know, there are coaches out there who, you know, I've had to leave Facebook groups before because I was so triggered by the coaches in the groups leading it who would every single solitary day be picking on someone. Mm. And you know, so there, it's definitely happens in the entrepreneurial world. But when I was in college, that was when the, when I experienced the brunt of it. And it really, really got to me to the point where I actually dropped out of Johns Hopkins officially for a week. Uh, And then after the week, I, uh, you know, I decided that I'm strong, I'm resilient, I'm gonna at least try. And I went back after the week and they allowed me to re-enroll without affecting my financial aid. The Johns Hopkins administration was absolutely amazing about the way that they handled it. But while I was at Johns Hopkins, I was being bullied for two things. Number one, because I was walking on a cane. And number two, because I was uh, because I was a pregnant freshman. Now, the thing here is that I was walking on a cane because I had just gotten hit by a van, a minivan going 50 miles an hour, and I almost died. Mm-hmm. And these people didn't know it, but 
that was one of the most traumatic things I had ever experienced in my life. And I spent months and months and months in rehabilitation before I got to the point where I could walk on the cane. Before that cane, I had been on a wheelchair. I had been on a walker. I had been on crutches. Then I was on one crutch. Then I was on the cane. And the bullying got so bad that I actually decided to rush my recovery and not walk on the cane. And what ended up happening was I just ended up limping everywhere. And then I got made fun of for limping. And when I was pregnant, you know, people were bullying me because I was the freshman prego. What they didn't realize was that I didn't even recall conceiving. I conceived when I was bedridden from the car accident. And I was on so much medication that I don't even know how it happened. And what they didn't realize is I didn't even know I was pregnant until I was four and a half months into it, which you can imagine being <laughs> an 18 year old at the time, after going through all of that trauma, almost dying, not knowing that it, it was even a possibility for you to have conceived, you know, not remembering it right. happening. You can imagine how traumatic that was for me. And here these people were making it so much worse. And if they had been more mindful of their words and their actions and their impact on others, you know, people say sticks, uh, sticks and stones um, can break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And right. that's for the strong people. You know, I think and even for the strong people, words hurt. They hurt people. They do. And we have to acknowledge that. We have to be mindful of that as human beings here supporting each other. We are all here on Earth living, trying to create a happy life. And we have to support each other in doing that. And if they had been mindful of their impact on other people they might not have done that to me. And on the flip side, if I had been more mindful of my emotions and stepped into a place of power with them rather than allowing them to control me, I would have recovered faster. Yeah. So, Stepped into a place of power with them. I love that phrase. <laughs> stepped into a place of power because that's what we have to do. We have to step into a place of power even when we feel we have no power. Yeah, Wow, yeah. What a what an amazing story. Amanda, my next questions are part of the multi-mode round. Just short 30-second answers are perfect. Here's the first one. Who is one person who has influenced your mindfulness practice? My husband. Ah, that's great. How has mindfulness affected your emotions? You've talked about it a bit. Can you just kind of sum it up? Uh, well, it's allowed me to become more in control of them. Tell us how breathing is part of your mindfulness practice. Uh, I recognize my breath in an effort to, you know, f to let thoughts, negative thoughts kind of, and, and the outside world go away. If you could recommend a book related to mindfulness, what would that be? Uh, I actually haven't read any books about it. I've developed my stance and my philosophies and my ideas about mindfulness simply through life experience. So if I recommend anything, it's experience. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Can you share an app which helps you to be more mindful? Maybe it's even a, a production app or something uh, like that. When it comes to apps, uh, the biggest thing that I think that can help you be more mindful is actually the off button. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. <laughs> what advice would you give a person who's new to this whole idea of mindfulness and they'd like to become more mindful in their own life? 
Hmm, that's a good question. I would say to practice uh, practice acknowledging your feelings and the way that you're reacting to the things that are happening to you. Because uh, mindfulness, the very first step to it is acknowledgement. And then from there, you can get better at, you know, how you handle those feelings that you've just acknowledged. But the very first thing is you have to start becoming aware of your words, your actions, your feelings, your state. Yeah, good advice. Wow, Amanda, you are really vibrant. And I just love (laughs) how you have so much incredible knowledge to share about mindfulness. How can we learn more about what you do and maybe connect with you? Yeah, absolutely. Well, first, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And thank you guys for listening. So um, I've had a lot of fun talking today. If you guys want to talk more about mindfulness, consciousness, or, you know, or business, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I am market like a nerd after all. I love nerding out about uh, business and marketing strategies. And the number one place where I do that, you know, besides marketlikeanerd.com, that's my website. But the number one place where I geek out with my community members is my Facebook group. It's called The Balanced Entrepreneur, where we consciously create balance in our business and our lives. And the Balanced Entrepreneur is a free Facebook group where I'm in there geeking out every day, sharing daily tips about marketing. And you can join that group by going to marketlikeanerd.com forward slash invite. There's no opt-in. So you literally just go to the page, you click the button and it'll take you to the group. That sounds like fun. (laughs) I think any place you are, it's fun. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Amanda, this has really been enjoyable. Thanks so much for joining us here at Mindfulness Mode. You have a great day. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. You too. Okay, bye now. Bye. Thank you so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For insightful blog articles and show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by clicking on the iTunes link on our website and leave a rating and review. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.